Hello, good morning. Uh, I am going to read Psalms 18, verses 1 through 30. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on the cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke his, through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful, with the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure, with the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. For you save a humble people, but a haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp, the Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against the troop, and my, by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. You know, as I was getting dressed this morning, I just happened to look down and realized, I'm pretty sure this is the same shirt that Dan Bourne wore last week. So I'm not, you know, imitation is a form of flattery, but it was, it was accidental, I promise. Uh, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Daniel Welker. I've been a member here for about four years. Uh, and I've been really blessed to be a part of uh, our BC family. And uh, I'm really excited this morning, uh, not just because I get to preach, which is always kind of cool, um, and not just because I get to preach over a really cool psalm. I, I love Psalm 18. It, it, it really means a lot to me. But because I get to do something which I've never gotten to do before, because it is a first Sunday, which means I get to do a kid's sermon. So kids, where are you guys at? A lot of you. Great. So this is going to be kind of like a raise your hand if 
type of question and answer. So uh, who here has like a best friend or like a, just a really good friend? Anybody have like a, a really good friend? Does someone have a best friend who's like maybe here this morning who you wouldn't mind sharing? Yeah, who's your best friend? Evie, very sweet. Yeah, Levi? Jaren, good one. Yeah, Eleanor? But she's not here today, but sometimes she is. Right, anybody else? Yeah, Kate? Ramona? Yeah, Evie. Getting greedy, but I like it. <laughs> good, yeah, so a lot of us have a best friend or a really good friend, and you can put your hands down for right now. Now, I want you to raise your hand if, when you see that best friend or that really good friend, maybe like you smile at them, or you run and you hug them, or you want to go and play with them. Does anyone do that when you see your best friend? Most of us, right? There's some kind of response there. Now, hands down. Now, raise your hand if, when you see your best friend, instead of smiling at them or running to hug them or something, you just kind of ignore them. Maybe you just walk past them, and, and you don't say hello. You don't acknowledge them. Does anyone do that to their best friend? Not really, right? Uh, now, the reason we're, we're saying that is because this morning we're going to be talking about how God is like our very best friend. He's such a good friend to us, and, and in the same way that we get excited when we see our best friends here, maybe at church or at school or, or elsewhere, um, that we can be excited when we get to see God and talk to God and hear about God uh, and sing to God like we're doing this morning. So kids, when you go home today, uh, maybe at lunch, try asking your parents, what are some of the ways that God has been like a really good friend to you? Uh, and, and parents, feel free to talk to your kids about some of that as well, how, how God has been a good friend to you and how he's shown his friendship. Um, so kids, feel free to go back to those coloring pages. I know they're pretty exciting. Um, so this morning we're talking through Psalm 18, and we cut it off at verse 30 because it's kind of a long psalm, and I'm already kind of a long-winded person anyway, so we're just going to stop it uh, right there. There's a lot that we could say, but I kind of want to go in, in two different directions. Um, the first is a little more obvious. If you have uh, a Bible that has like a, a chapter heading for this section, it might say something like, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my strong place, something like that. Uh, and, and I think that's a very straightforward direction to go. But I am an English teacher, and as some of you may recall, with dread, English teachers are not typically satisfied with like the straightforward, obvious interpretation. We want to dig a little bit and find out maybe what's underneath. Um, so we do want to go the, the direction maybe we talked about in the kids' sermon as well, um, talking about the friendship of God, the good friendship that he gives us, and, and, and actually even just more than just friendship, um, but something really special. Um, to give you a big idea of my goal this morning, I want to start by telling you a, a quick uh, personal story. So uh, I have an older brother, some of you have met him, Joseph, and Joseph is married, uh, his wife, is, her name is Lauren, and uh, they've been married for a couple of years now, but they first met in February of 2020, which, as we all recall, was an entirely uneventful time <laughs> where nothing was happening, right? Now, that was, that was when like, the lockdown first started for COVID, and they were in St. Louis City, and, and so it was pretty intense there, nobody really knew what was happening. Um, so we, the rest of our family, we didn't really get to, to meet her or, or, or see much of her at all. All we got to hear about from her was through my brother, Joseph. Um, but as we were hearing about her, and, and really to tell the truth, he wouldn't shut up about her. Uh, anytime we would talk to him, he would be telling us, oh, Lauren this and Lauren that. And, and as he talked to us more about this gal, um, even though we hadn't really gotten to meet her very much, we just absolutely fell in love with her as well. And my hope this morning is that as we listen to David, who essentially just wrote a love letter to God in this psalm, 
um, that we would get to have a little bit of that experience too, that as, as we listen to David's words to God, um, that we would feel something in, in our hearts as well. Um, so whether you already know and love God or just don't even understand like how we could give such a precious word to him, um, I hope that we can get some of that perspective from David this morning. Um, before we really get into the text, just a quick interesting thing is that you can actually find this chapter in 2 Samuel 22. It's reproduced almost entirely. It's just missing like one line and the introduction's a little bit different. I don't intend to say anything about that, but I think it's kind of neat. So there you go. Do whatever you want with that. Um, so before we jump into the text, um, would you please uh, join me in prayer? God, thank you for our ability to come here together. Thank you for our time here. Um, God, I just ask that you would, you would bless my words um, and, and use them to give something back to you. Um, that as we go through David's words this morning, that we would just start to understand how he loved you and how you loved him and start to understand how we can love you and how you can love us. Uh, God, help us to have that perspective. Help us to, um, to know and, and love you well and to learn more about you through your words. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are going to skip around a little bit today. I'm actually going to start in verse 4. The introduction is really nice and everything. Um, but I do want to start in verse 4 because this is where we get the action, the conflict, right? Something has gone wrong. In my class, I might call that the inciting incident. Um, and so we jump down to verse 4 after, after David has given this introduction. We'll circle back to that later. Um, but verse 4, we see what's going on with David. And he says, well, he's got cords of death. He's got torrents of destruction. He's got the cords of Sheol and the snares of death. Down in verse 6, he says he's in distress and he calls upon the Lord. And, and to God, he cries for help. Uh, and, and, and David's cry reaches God. It says it reaches his ears. Um, so this is uh, a familiar story to those of us who know our Old Testament. Because David's, once again, in trouble. Um, and I don't know about you, but that's of, of great comfort to me. Because I feel like I am often in trouble. I'm often... I feel like I have things coming after me. And so to look at David, who is continually getting in trouble and continually getting into these situations, um, it, it, it's a great blessing to me to see his response here. Um, but he's going to go on, and we're going to see God's response starting in verse 7 all the way down to uh, verse 15. It says, The earth reels and rocks. The foundations of the mountain are trembling and quaking because he was angry. And, and I want to point out really quickly here that God's not angry at David. He's angry on, on behalf of David. He's angry because David's in trouble, and he's rushing in here to rescue him. And so he's angry because someone who's precious to him is hurting. And he's going to go on. Smoke goes up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth with glowing coals, uh, thick darkness under his feet. He flies in swiftly on the wings of the wind with darkness as his covering, uh, thick clouds dark with water around him. I think I'm going to be fighting this mic the whole time, so I apologize. And out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire through the clouds. Um, you might be forgiven uh, if, if we were just to put one, in line, one line in here that says, like, I am vengeance, I am the night. You might be forgiven for thinking, like, this is a description of Batman or something, right? Which, which we can joke about that, but isn't it such a great comfort, or wouldn't it be such a great comfort if you were in trouble to have Batman coming after you, right? To have Batman on your side, um, and God is so much more than that. He continues in verse 13. He's thundering in the heavens, uttering his voice with hailstones and coals of fire. He's sending out arrows. He's flashing forth lightning. Uh, he's splitting the earth and, and, and laying open the sea um, at, the, at his rebuke, at the breath 
the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Um, and so the reason we're starting here in this section is because I want us to understand God's heart towards us. And, and to eliminate this image that some of us may have of a disinterested God, I think it's really easy to picture God as Zeus up on Mount Olympus, uh, who just sort of sits on his throne and tosses down some lightning bolts every once in a while. But this is not the image of God that we see. When he hears our cry, he leaves. He rushes down to us. He comes to our rescue. Uh, his heart darkens at our, at our injury, and his rescue is swift. Um, we might say, like, I don't feel like God has done all that much for me. I don't, I don't feel that God has rescued me all that much. Um, but I want us to think maybe back a couple weeks ago to Malachi, where the people said the same thing in Malachi chapter 1. They said, what has God done for us when his God rescued us? And, and the answer that he gave, of course, was all the time. He does everything for you. He does so many things for you. Uh, it, it's daily. It's hourly. It's every moment, right? A lot of you in here are parents, and I, I, I'd ask you to consider as parents the things that you protect your children from and, and the way that you protect your children in such a way that probably they don't even know that you're protecting them from those things. Right? You keep them so well protected in so many ways that they don't even know that there was ever a danger or something on the horizon for them. And that's one of the ways that God protects us. He protects us so well that we don't even see most of the stuff that is going to come our way. Not just things outside of you, but also the things that are inside of you. Your, your anger, your selfishness, your desire to get even with that snot-nosed three-year-old who just mouthed off at you. Right? We all have that. Um, but God, he, he loves us. He protects us. And, and our injury makes him angry. Now, he doesn't need to protect us from any evil in his heart because there isn't any evil there. But do you imagine that this same God who rushes so passionately after our hurting hearts, do you imagine that he's going to be any less swift or passionate in rushing after our sin? But when he does, he, he turns, for those of us who believe in him, he turns all those consequences away, and they're poured out on Jesus instead. And, and this is one of the good ways that God shows his friendship to us, um, that when, he call, when we call, he moves. I'm going to try adjusting this really quick. There we go. Uh, I'm going to jump down to verse 20 next, because we've just talked about how God comes to us when we're in distress. But once he reaches us, we probably want to know how he's going to look at us. Um, we know that he's not disinterested, but when he does take an interest in it, what's that, what's that going to look like? Is, is he going to be angry? Is he going to be frustrated? Is he going to be just annoyed with us? And, and I think when I say that, it's easy for us to say like, oh, well, that's silly, obviously. But, but if we didn't believe parts of that, I think we would rush to God a lot more frequently. Right? If there wasn't some temptation to believe that, we would rush to him all the time because if, if we didn't have some trepidation, what would keep us away? What could possibly keep us away from such an amazing, mighty rescuer? Well, when I read verses 20 and 21, it, well, it, it says this. It says, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. And when I read those verses, 20 and 21, uh, my temptation is to see that word righteous and substitute it with, like, law-abiding or rule-keeper. And, and that's not really exactly what that word means, and, and it also doesn't sound a lot like me. Uh, it, it, probably, if you're thinking of yourself, it doesn't sound a lot like you, because when it comes to God's moral law, we've all broken that so many more times than we can even consider. Uh, like Dan talked about last week with, with gospel freedom, uh, we minimize our sin and we minimize the wrongdoing that we actually do by, by using language like saying we messed up or ah oh, man I, I didn't live up to that today or something but when I as a teacher 
When I, when I, there's a kid who's misbehaving and I pull him out in the hall and yell at him and it feels good, that's, that's not messing up, right? That's evil, that, that's sin, that's wrong, and there needs to be a reckoning for that. Someone needs to, to give me what I deserve for that. And, and so when we look at that word righteous and we think like law-abiding, good grief, how could we ever possibly hope to approach God? What could we possibly have or deserve other than that wrath that we saw in that last section? But then I have to remember a fancy theological word, which I hope I'm going to use correctly. But I remember that our righteousness is imputed, which means that it's given to us by God. It's not something that we earned. It's not something that we deserved. Any more than being a member of your family is a title that you earned. You didn't do anything good to be a member of your family. Your parents loved you, and so they called you family. And when God loves us, and we trust in him, and we stay close to him, he calls us righteous. Righteousness is, is to do with our right standing with God. It's our identity. It's how God sees us. And when we do follow him and trust in him, he'll, he'll give us that righteous identity. So the Lord does deal with us according to our righteousness. It's just that it, it's not our righteousness. It's his. When we trust in God and stay close to him, he'll, he'll give us that. And we can't have God's righteousness when we're running away from him any more than you can enjoy the benefits of your marriage if you're living on the other side of the country from your spouse. Right? It, it's just difficult. There's, there's a practical aspect to this. So we do need to abide in God, and we do need to stay close to him. But it's important to remember, righteous does not mean sinless. And David's not saying that he's sinless here as he's going through this. Uh, he's not being conceited. All he's saying is that by abiding in God through faith, God shows favor to him and blesses him and loves him. That's really all he asks of us. We have a good father in heaven who asks so very little of us. Um, he says in Psalm 40, verse 6, that, that God doesn't delight in burnt offerings or our sacrifices that we can give to him, but he delights in people who listen to him and, and follow him and love him. This is, again, one of the good aspects of God's friendship to us, that when he does rescue us, and he does rescue us, he doesn't see us as tiresome chores to be dealt with. He sees us as friends, members of his family, people to love and cherish. And as we go down to verses like 25 through like 28, kind of that section there, uh, we may notice that there's a tone shift, or at least I notice a, a tone shift when we get down to like verse 28. Uh, not just friendship, but maybe something even a little bit more. Um, and, and, and we would see this all the way through the end of the psalm, but we're stopping at verse 30. Uh, and I'm going to focus on that like 28, 29, 30 section there. Because when I read those verses, there's parts that don't just sound like something you would say to a friend, but maybe something that like a a Twitter-pated teenager might say to their crush or something, right? Um, let's, let me take a few liberties here, and uh, you can stone me after the service or whatever. But uh, I'm going to read from the, the DHT. It's the Daniel's Heretical Translation. And uh, don't worry, coming soon to questionable bookstores near you. Uh, but I want you to imagine what these verses might sound like if we were to modernize them a little bit. And, you know, this is just taking some liberties here. But verse 28, I might say, like, you light up my life. Sounds like what David's saying there. Or in verse 29, when you're around, I feel like I could take on a dozen guys or lasso the moon. Right? Verse 30, you're so perfect, you make me feel safe. These are not just things that we would say to a good friend. Right? This is, this is intimate. This is personal. This is close. Now, I want some of you to think back to when you were younger and, and maybe first met that person who was going to become your spouse or, you know, that first crush, first love that you had and... Um, yeah, I realize it sounds like I'm calling some of you old, um, but if the orthopedic shoe fits, no. Um, but think back to how you felt then, kind of that fluttery feeling you maybe had, 
Everything was a little unexpected, new. You didn't really know what was happening or going on, um, but you're pretty sure it was going to be an adventure. That's how I picture David writing this psalm. He's totally enamored, and he's all in. He's giving it all. Well, from what we've read so far, it might seem kind of confusing, because all we've seen so far is, is God, in that first section, 4 through 15, is like this vengeful, elemental wrath, which is like awesome, but kind of scary. And then we see here, like God giving good standing to David, which is nice, but kind of tame, right? It's not something that really provokes uh, kind of the love letter that we saw there. Um, But let's jump back for a second to verse 16. And I said we would get back here, and this is my favorite part. Um, Because verse 16 comes right after God came down to rescue David. So he rushed down as like fire and ice and thunder and lightning, and he's splitting open the oceans. And it's kind of scary, but kind of awesome, but not exactly something that evokes these feelings in us. Um, But let's read verse 16. It says, well, he sent from on high. He took me, he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And when I read that, it's hard not to read that with just with the, those intimate tones, the, the, just the love that comes off of those lines there, the closeness, the gentleness, the tenderness. Remember what came right before that in verse 15. <laughs> Channels of the sea being laid bare, foundations of the earth being laid bare, fire and lightning. And then he comes and he, when he reaches David, the second that he reaches David, it shifts into just tenderness and love. And I really want to focus on that last nine line of verse 19, which says, he rescued me because he delighted in me. And when I read this psalm, that just like jumped out at me, and I was like, oh my goodness, everything else is going to be just an excuse to get to that verse, because it's like so cool. Guys, for the last couple of weeks, I've been just saying to myself as I drive to work or something like, God delights in me. And that is such a mind-blowing thing to be able to say because we don't always feel delightful. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel delightful, right? Uh, even though today's message may not officially be a part of the gospel culture series, I'm going to make an argument to like insert it in here um, as, as gospel delightedness. Because we can talk about all the gospel culture that we want to have, or the gospel values, or the gospel relationships that we want to develop, but it is so hard to live in those things and to have those not feel like a burden if we don't feel delighted in you remember being like a teenager living in your parents' house, and uh, teenagers are dumb. Sorry, dumb teenagers. Um, but, but nonetheless, like, it, it's tough when you didn't feel that delight and you didn't feel like they understood you. It was tough to do those things, even something like, hey, would you take out the trash? And, uh, right? It's a chore. It's a burden. But when you feel that delight and you feel that love, you'd do anything for that person. Right? So we need to feel that God loves us, we need to feel that delightedness in us. And how many of us can truly say that? How many of us can truly say that, like, I feel that I am loved? Uh, This may just be like me, because, I mean, I'm not married, and I know you guys are, and that when you get married, you never have to worry about that feeling ever again. Um, You just get to look into each other's eyes and, like, feed each other chocolates. Um, Is that that not, that's not what marriage is? I've been deceived. No, even with the best spouse, the best marriage, on the best of days, there will be times that you don't feel like you're delighting that person. You might feel like you're a burden to them or just dead weight dragging them down. You're not worthy of their love. 
With God, we don't ever have to worry about that. Look at the language here. When he rescues us, he delights in us. It doesn't say in verse 19, he rescues us if he delights in us. There's no condition there. It doesn't say that he'll rescue us when he delights in us, like he's on the couch over there. But when he feels delight, then he'll get up and he'll come over and rescue us. No, there is no condition here. The condition is already met, that he already delights in us. And so he will rescue us. It's guaranteed. By trusting in God, David is dealt with according to the righteousness God has given him. And because God sees David as righteous, he rushes to him and rescues him. There's no inner strength that we can have or moral conviction in the way that we live our lives that will keep us feeling nearly as secure as when we believe that God rescues us because he delights in us. That he is our friend who loves us dearly, who will rescue us with all the fervor of some dark night, you know, avenging his captured bride, who will tear down the fortress like stone by stone by stone until the fixation of his heart is safe and returned once more. That's the kind of story that we have with God. It's a perilous romance and a thrilling rescue. And that should change the way we live. In 1 Samuel, David is described as being a man after God's own heart. And here we see the very enamored David writing to God with what might seem like ridiculous hyperbole, or uh, it might be a little undignified if he were addressing this to anyone else, right? But David was a man who showed complete trust in God, who was faithful, he was humble, and he never shied away from running straight to God for comfort. Even when he had just sinned against God in the most horrible ways, he still ran straight to God without ever turning back. I wish that we could live in that space more often. I wish we could live in that same type of place where we run straight to God every single time, but it is hard. Marriage is not only passion, so I'm told, but there is passion. And if that were to die, we would maybe question, like, maybe something needs to change a little bit. And we need to offer more to God than just rote acts of service and devotion, which are are good. Those are good. Those those are the foundation of, of what keeps a relationship healthy in many ways, but Would that sustain your heart if your spouse was to only just serve you in a passionless way? And if that wouldn't sustain you from your spouse, how can we just offer that to God and call that sufficient to him? Uh, There's a lot more we could say, but we'll leave it here. Um, The rest of the psalm, while very beautiful, is a little bit repetitive, even though Spurgeon says that not all repetitions are vain repetitions, um, but we're, we're pretty much out of time. Um, As you leave this morning, I hope that the mystery of God's love and delight for you becomes something true. Um, For those of you who maybe are married, you can look at your spouse and see from the lesser to the greater the way that God's love um, will show up and and how much more your God in heaven has to offer you. And for those of us who aren't, um, I hope that we can look right at the greater thing, right? And stare right into the sun um, and see how much um, the, the greatest love that we will ever have um, to be more than satisfied by God's perfect, unconditional love. You can't earn that love, and you can't make yourself more lovely to him. It's something that's given freely. God loves us. He's a man of passion and violence who knows our struggles, who will be quick to defend us, and whose heart moves with us in every pain. He's near to us when we call, and all we have to do is call on his name. That's it. That is the only thing. And he will be swift to respond. You can chase whatever kind of life you want, and you can find and lose happiness by the bucketfuls, Um, But you will never feel more secure than when you believe that God rescues you because he delights in you. If you trust him, follow him, and love him, you'll have that good life that we all crave more than anything else. You pray with me.
God, thank you for delighting in us. Thank you for, for loving us and for giving us such good gifts. Thank you for being someone who is, is swift to come after us, even though we run away from you so often. God, help us to, to chase after you and to feel that and to, to not just let us our, our Christian lives be passionless and, and rote, but they, we would be a little undignified like David that we would let our, our words get a little silly, a little hyperbolic, that we would be always thinking of you and having you on our minds. And as we turn to you, that we would have joy and, and laughter and, and our hearts would be lifted up and, and made light because as we love you and as we serve you uh, in love, that those things don't become burdens anymore. They become joys. God, please, please bless us throughout our week. Um, help us treasure these, these things in our hearts. Pray all this in your name. Amen.